0: The Creative Relay is recorded, mixed and mastered at Smith & Western Studios. If you want to improve the quality of your podcast or start a podcast of your own, go to smithandwestern.com.au and get your first episode produced for free. I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. Last time on The Creative Relay, James McGrath spoke to Michaela Webb. Now it's Michaela's turn to pick up the baton on this issue of The Creative Relay. Michaela Webb from Round in Melbourne. Welcome back to the Creative Relay. Thank you. I love your chat with James. I thought it was just so interesting and insightful. When James had first said that he was, he was inviting you on, I thought it's typical James just to go off brief slightly But I think opening it up to a design conversation has been really enlightening for people in advertising, just to get an insight into the parallels and the differences, I think, between our our work. So it was really great. So well done. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm very glad that you could come back. And of course, part of the deal is that you have to come back with a guest, someone who has inspired you in the past. Now who is this mystery person?
1: Well, I've asked Vince Frost today. I mean, part of the reason I wanted Vince was, you know, James and I had spoken a lot about this idea of disruption, preparing for change, collaboration, culture. And, and I think um, Vince seemed like a great person to kind of continue that conversation or add to that conversation in some way. Yeah, He has, uh, I mean, he's the executive creative director of the Frost Collective. And that collective is a collective of different companies, but they all collaborate and they're all underpinned by, the idea of designing human experiences that enrich people's lives. So I thought that was a really interesting thing that we could talk about, that idea of collaboration. And also, he's been in the industry for 25 years, so he's seen many changes, many disruptions. And we uh, you know, we both share the fact that we've worked in different countries, been a part of different cultures. So I think today what I'd love to discuss with Vince more is that idea of how our industry has changed, what our roles are really becoming, and how do we measure the value of what we do and um, use our own design skill sets to, to design ourselves.
0: Well then, shall we get him in?
1: Let's get him in.
2: Vince Frost. Hello. Welcome to the Creative Relay. Thank you so much. It's so cool to be here.
1: Yeah, excellent. So Vince, I think what would be a good way to start? I mean, I think what's really interesting is what you've just been doing is trying to balance your life, really, and trying to <laughs> juggle sort of paying something for your children, (laughs) as well as doing a creative relay, as well as running a business. So maybe it might be really good just to sort of talk about how we think about that balance, that work-life balance. And also, I mean, you've been looking at designing your own life, how you've been able to bring some of those principles into uh, the way you work.
2: Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, real life is challenging and exciting (laughs) in equal measures. And I kind of came up with the idea that, you know, we use design principles in our everyday work, we have timelines, we have reviews, we keep things on track, and we deliver a successful outcome. And I wanted to look at how do I do that from my own life? How do I look at my problems or opportunities and actually manage them and use the design like
0: process? Project management. Yeah, project.
2: exactly. Right. So come to you know, aggr- agree what your outcome is, have a goal, have plans, and actually realize that. And more often than not, people tend to think that their life's you know, their life will have, work its way out um, eventually, work, work itself out eventually. And um, sadly, when you talk to people, I meet all the time, who say, you know, somebody on the deathbed is saying that they wish they'd done this, they wish they'd done that. And I found that kind of quite sad to think about the, the fact that someone could live their whole life and not actually achieve the things that they actually wanted to do. They seem to think it was out of their grasp.
0: Given your success, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but does that mean that you're very kind of like focused on achievements and you you're very goal oriented?
2: I am very goal oriented. Yeah. I like to have a plan. I I have, a, I, have a, I like to know what I'm what I'm in for and what the outcome, what we're looking for, what success look like. And so if I was a kid cutting the grass at, you know, 10 years old, I would cut it incredibly neatly, but incredibly quickly, and people would go, "Wow." You couldn't have finished that already. I take pride in, in overachieving on things like that, but not just getting it done, but doing it really, really well. So there's a, a I don't know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this comes from somewhere. And um, I know not everybody has that same a- ambition, but for me, I love projects. I love opportunities. I love meeting people. I love connecting, and I love connecting the dots, and I love creating a successful outcome from that.
1: Yeah, and so what about for yourself when you've when you've turned that on to yourself? I mean, I think it's really um, in our in our industry, it's very easy to do that for others. It's not easy at all, actually. It's very hard. But but to do that for others is one thing. But then to turn it on to yourself, I think that's another thing altogether. And so, do you have your own purpose? Do you know what your purpose is?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're, you're totally right. And 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 the more people I talk to, the more people I realize actually are very focused on their careers and neglecting their own well-being it took me quite a few kind of hit-in-the-wall scenarios to feel like i was at rock bottom to realize i needed to do something different i need to pro- redesign my life i need to think of how do i do something differently to how i currently was doing the, the big difference is with with a client and i kind of see this day in day out is that they come to they come to you with an opportunity and you're, you're flattered by that you feel like it, it enhances your purpose you feel like wow that person needs me they got a budget which is never enough but they often have more often than not have a a fixed deadline and that fixed deadline is what we all Mm -hmm. get excited about in the beginning and realize there's not enough time the closer we get to the end but we cannot not deliver we cannot not deliver we have to deliver whether we stay all night the night of the meeting or the presentation we do whatever it takes to make it happen now be really interesting to look at that in our own lives and go When do we do that for ourselves? You know, when do we actually take a deadline that seriously about getting back in January, getting kind of getting some fitness thing going or cooking better meals or living healthily or approaching things a different way? And more often than not, the majority of people, you know, it gets a little bit tough and procrastination comes in and it kind of, you never, you never achieve that. And there's no consequence apart from that it keeps coming back again and again over time. Um, I think that it is important for me to have goals as opposed to just drifting and letting life happen to me.
1: So when you decided to split Frost into Frost Collective and, and mm. had the separate businesses, was that you know the strategy to do that? where, where Frost might have got too big, maybe, or, or yeah. what was the you know what was the thinking behind that? We answer your really no. Oh, no. To-
2: <laughs> no, I'm joking. So I started Frost in London in '94, which is a long time ago, and um, just naively walked into it, found a little desk, had a computer. And I just sat there waiting for the phone to ring and it never rang. (laughs) I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a plan. I was just winging it and seeing what happened. I just naively just thought it all would take off. And I started to look around me and I started to kind of go, wow, okay, I need to find a solution. So I made the effort to connect with people that I respected in the industry who created successful businesses. And I actually reached out to them and said, look, I just need some help here. I need some advice. And the more people I talked to, the more it kind of helped me kind of fast track my career. And so over the years, I've always been asking for advice. And in 2013, I realized that I was struggling at running the business because the business Frost Design at the time was doing a whole bunch of different things. It was doing environmental designs, doing branding, packaging, digital work, uh, comms, etc. A whole variety of things. And often the team that we had were responding to whatever came through the door. So we could be doing a project in a branding project or property marketing project or whatever it might be. And so a big chunk of the business would just keep you know shift to that focus. And it meant that we were very reactive, and I and I saw that time and time again. But also, what I saw was we were creating over the years of being business, we were creating patterns, we were creating case studies, and we over time you realize that you're building more than one case study in a particular sector. And I started to think, see that pattern and think that's interesting. There's actually strength in that, and experience, and marketability that we can like, go to market with that. So I worked with a couple of my coaches around the idea of redesigning what was Frost Design, uh, putting structure and accountability into the business. Because before that too, there's a whole bunch of people doing great work and they're all really, really busy. But accountability, it fell on my shoulders in the end of the day because I was a majority shareholder of the business. And so I looked at another way of doing that. And the time, I was looking at um, bringing in a digital business. And we were talking about it becoming Frost Digital. And that business was called The Nest. And I thought at the time, well, you know what? Actually. That business, although it not be a very big business, had already had a name and a reputation and a team. Why don't we just keep that business as part of the collective? And so we have two brands that we're adding into the world to the offer uh, rather than just one business that became kind of again quite kind of blurry and so when I did that I then thought well, okay, I'm going to restructure the whole business and create Urban night which is our environmental design business and with each of these businesses it had a separate P&L it had a head of business and a whole team within that to support it being a success and so in a way I mean now we've created five businesses there's six businesses in total and you know in a way it's kind of an incubator for business you get enough kind of critical mass enough kind of patterns happening in a certain area that you go okay that actually could become a standalone business and when it's a standalone business it could be one person starting it but but there's 50 people across the business so in a way it's one person with 50 people supporting that so i, I just think it's interesting as an idea it's not making brands for the sake of it but it's actually being quite deliberate deliberate on creating a specialist offer to the market was so clarity of what that business is in, in, here to do and a team that can deliver on that.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because just speaking from an agency kind of background, a lot of the bigger agencies have inherited that sort of a structure, I guess, over the years where they've got lots of different businesses, lots of different P&Ls and everything like that. And they, they all seem so worried about being broken into silos. Yeah. And it seems like that's what they're actually fighting against that.
2: The thing is that we, in the first month, we... It was apparent that everybody did break into silos. Right, okay. You know, so we found that we gave each head uh, KPIs and a team and resources and support. And, yeah, as I said, quite quickly in that very short period of time, I realized that the team were were starting to work, looking out for themselves. We redesigned the business. We moved to a new studio in Redfern, which we redesigned, very open plan, and created a very collaborative environment. So it's all open. Uh, Everybody's encouraged to share and to work collectively together. I mean that's why it's called the collective, and it's deliberately that it's not just we didn't have just bolted on businesses to another business. We actually have done it organically, and we've done it um, to enhance the the overall. Uh, capability across the business, so they're all calling on each other all the time to support each other in business.
1: Right. Okay. But do they do they collaborate with other? So, for instance, do uh, does Nest work with other branding agencies, or, or is it really they only work within your yeah. collective? I'm just really interested.
2: Yeah. No. It's a good. It's a good point. Um, I think that obviously other design companies are quite. Um, I mean, everyone's quite protective of their business. So, I think that I was hoping that that uh, other Design companies that didn't have a digital capability would yeah. come to the nest for that. But I think they just because they knew it was part of Frost Collective, probably they get less. get worried. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I can imagine that it could be justified in other organizations, but I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. We're passionate about a non solid approach and also about focusing on creating the best outcome with every opportunity across any of the businesses. So that's by design that's and that's deliberate. But, you know, it certainly didn't come natural to a lot of people. And certainly naturally people would think of it, of what. It's going to go wrong versus what could go right, and as, as I said in the beginning, it's like it's still ongoing, tweaking, doing new things, trialing stuff, changes. It's, it's all part yeah, of, of the evolution yeah. of trying to get it better. I realized a while back. I mean, to my quite sad at the time, going, you know what, this business is never going to be perfect. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I was in my head trying to make this thing perfect, and, um, and they just aren't. no nah,
1: and, and you think sometimes you've got it to that stage where oh it's really well wow, this is perfect you know the money's coming in yeah. the team seem happy I've got the KPIs done I've done the development you know um, we just won some award and then and then the next day the whole thing can kind of come, <laughs> can completely unravel <laughs> and, I know, and it, I know. what the hell's just happened you
2: know I was saying to someone yesterday about this it's like when you go oh my god this relationship is so great and then the next day something <laughs> happens
1: like, yeah, yeah <laughs> you that's know, right or
2: uh, Oh, my God, it's so nice having money in the bank. (laughs) And then some big bill comes in. You go, oh,
1: man. I never saw that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you think about in terms of business that 80% of businesses fail in the first three years. That's incredibly high. So a lot of people are having a go. It's a huge. And not a lot of people are making it. And majority of businesses actually start a business with an idea or maybe because they're a great technician or something. And often they they do it with a a three-year out plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never even thought about the option of getting out. I'm still, yeah, still, I I'm still kind of, mm, is that ever on the agenda? I don't know. Some people do. But if I started a business today, I would definitely have a plan of, okay, what am I building? When is it going to be maxi- maximized its kind of full potential? Or when would I sell that business? And that's uh, it's a very different approach to how most design companies that yeah. aren't owned by a bigger media agency are, are, are run. They're kind of built for life. They're
1: hmm. built for, Yeah, exactly. I've had, we've had people say, are you doing that so you could sell one day? And, I, and, and the, even the idea of that, I just think, no, 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 I'm not, not doing that for that. At all, that purpose at all, and
2: depends how much it was. Yeah. Right? Maybe, 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 oh. maybe yeah,
1: maybe. But, but I don't know. I I Anyone think I'd listening. be terribly bored. <laughs> yeah. I'd be yeah. really, really bored. And and I, I think I mean, it just you sometimes go. That's what you you do. That you've made something that you've created, and that you hopefully, even though it's really hard, you hopefully that's what you want to wake up in the morning and do. Well, that might be a good way to talk about culture a, a mm. little bit. You know, creating yeah, cultures, yeah. creating design cultures, but also working. I mean, w- one thing that's interesting, you and I both have in common that we, we've worked in many different places. You know, you've worked in, in, you talk about London, and then and then actually coming to Australia, but also your your background in, in Canada mm. and how those different places affect the culture of what you're creating as well and how you've worked in those different cultures.
2: Yeah, you kind of know what you know. You know what you've experienced. And I think that I certainly encourage young interns, young designers, anybody coming to the business to travel, to go to more than one studio and to get a feel for the variety that's out there because obviously not one size fits all and every organisation in every country is, is very different. And to find the thing that works for you, find the thing that you feel a natural feeling that this is where I want to be this is where I gonna put my energy it kind of clicks you know I talk about it being that tingling feeling that you feel like oh my god this is not just the career that I want to do but also the environment or the approach or the or the environment that I'm, that I'm working in really makes me feel great and feelings are a vital part of being a human being and in a way when you think about what we do on a daily basis we, we stimulate we design a stimulus to create a reaction to the senses. So feelings are a vital part of, of being a human being and I think we forget about that. And we talk about kind of, you know, the environment that you're in, like for me, the studio, the space, the brands, the work, the approach is designed to work for successful outcomes but also to there is a certain way that we do things and so other organizations may have a very different way they might be very similar but they might be different in, in be nuances that could be for some people a significant difference you know could be the hours that you work could be like wrong for you or yeah. some people like to start at four in the afternoon and work all night some people are like are, are morning people like they're all different just
0: talking about the culture mm. what sort of person is a frost person do you think
2: that's a good question the frost person is someone who has shared values and shared ambitions, people who want to do good, people who are who care about the environment, people who are ambitious and who are optimistic. I really like it when the people who are or have a clear goal of their career path as well versus just coming in and going, I'm, I'm just in here as a junior or whatever it might be. Let's just see how it goes. I like to help people on their journey. So we have three, six, 12-month plans. We have monthly PPMs, personal progress meetings with them. We invest in our people as much as, as they invest in us, as much as they give us. I mean, our people are everything for us. We do defrost once a month, although that's kind of off the boils lately, but we do a lot um, for the team and and the, and the we invest in that environment for creating the kind of the mood and the, and the kind of the sharing the values across. The organization.
0: Do people stay? Tend to hang around for a while.
2: People like some of the leading people, uh, the more senior people in the business, have been there. You know, since since I've been there, uh, there's about four or five who've been there for fifteen years plus. I've found lately that we're be. It's kind of probably good to get someone uh, as long as three years. Yeah, right. That tends to be. People tend to be moving around more. I think that's a mixture of social media. They're kind of looking at social media, constantly seeing kind of the eye candy around the world. And um, probably most people have dissatisfaction with their life in general as a result of as that. As a
0: result of that, yeah.
2: And, yeah, I think it tends to be about three years. And I want to celebrate that when that happens. Someone says, look, I'm, I'm, I love it here, but I want to move on. I want to try, you know, another country or another, another opportunity. I think I'm I'm very grateful for the time and energy they put into mm. my business. And I'm really... It really touches me when I hear, you know, all the things they say about their, what they felt that they've learned and they've grown by being part of that, you know.
0: Do many come back?
2: They, they do occasionally, yeah. yeah. I mean, some people say you should never reemploy somebody again, but I actually think good people who are going away and going, Christ, you know, I realise how good it was. Maybe that's just a flattery thing, yeah. <laughs> but it always works with me. <laughs> um, and when they come back, they're they're kind of tend to be a different person and far more um, focused as a result of that. <laughs>
1: What would be great to talk about is a little bit about the industry and the changes in the Mm. industry and and the kind of disruption in the industry. I mean, you've probably seen many changes and as changes have happened, they had to readjust and realign. You've talked about sort of continually readjusting and realigning what Frost Collective is now. And it'll be good just to talk about where you think change is coming from and what are some of those changes.
2: Yeah, and I want to kind of just say up front, I don't have all the answers. No, no, do I. that's what scares that's... the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> because for a long time, it, it there wasn't a huge amount of movement. I mean, back in, I don't know, early 90s when the first Max came along, prior to that I was old enough to actually do all by hand, you know, mm. typesetting, designing yep. uh, by hand. Um, Before the computer came along, the computer and the internet made a massive difference and enabled us to do everything, which, you know, some people thought that was a positive thing. Other people thought that was a bit of, you know, another level of um, expectations that was kind of beyond what we did previously. Some people thought that the computer would solve all the problems and it doesn't, of course. So it was a very long time that Mm. it's kind of, we got away with doing what we've always done. Um, There was a time when design awards were the thing that gave you credibility. They gave you that if you won design awards, that means you must be good. And Mm -hmm. our clients looked for that.
0: Um, Has that changed?
2: I think it hasn't changed, unfortunately. I think it has in other countries it has uh, because I still think that – I think that's fine. I think it's good to enter awards and and, – you know, have your peers. It's good for visibility. It's one aspect of 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 kind of also celebrating uh, the success of what you're doing with your team and your clients. I think that's that's good in that regard. But I do think that what concerns me, what keeps me up at night now, is going is thinking about what is what should I be designing my business to? How how should I evolve my business? Continually evolve my business. And there's so many now options. You know, you could go down and completely customer experience route you can be doing more comms you can be doing just be digital you can just a whole array of things ai is like scarily uh coming up pretty quickly some people say it's a great thing it's going to enhance us and enhance life etc i'm nervous it's going to destroy our our industry and what we do some people say that's the last area creativity is the last area that i don't know i read other articles that say actually it's totally can do this and that i'm no expert on it but i definitely feel that some significant change is happening now and you can see the array of uh, capabilities uh, people new people coming to the market new technology etc that's making our lives enhancing our lives to a certain extent but also it's it's a threat to our business we have to evolve we have to be deliberate understanding where can we add value how can what was a design company or originally a graphic design company to become more of a critical part of society a critical part of business across society so from the arts all the way through to corporations etc so i i as I said, I don't have the answers, but I'm being honest that I'm nervous about it as opposed to being optimistically positive about the idea of change and which I normally am yep. because I don't know necessarily which way to go. You know, yeah. I don't. There yes. are so many options. Mm-hmm. And we've gone from traditionally we've, we'll talk, go back to the idea of feelings, is that, you know, when you work with a client and you absorb yourself in that opportunity, you work on it, play with it, either individually or collectively, and you work on that until you have this amazing tingling feeling, the kind of eureka moment that makes you feel that this is right. The idea you got is the answer to the solution, uh, the answer to the problem, and so I think that still goes on today. But I can see what's going to happen, and I see it. It does happen in other countries where a client is going to say to us, "It's less than advertising and digital because you can track the success, or you can track how your recommendations have, you know, panned out it's in the out. market." Yep. You know, but in what we do in branding or design in general, it's really it's not impossible to get to follow that. But it's actually a lot of design companies don't track the success. Yeah, win awards got a lot of pr but you know it's up to the individual organization to track the data around the engagement with your recommendations so we're moving more towards a customer experience you know human-centered design approach to things where it's a much more of an investment in understanding the customer uh the customer journey uh, across an organization and designing to rich insights uh as opposed to like way back It, it was much more like you know, playing around with some type for a bit and eventually go, ooh, that looks cool, and everybody intu- clapped. It was all oh,
1: your intuition. <laughs> yeah. You never, you never yeah, your had, intuition. Yeah.
2: Not that you say your intuition is not still mm-hmm. part of it, but it's not all of it. And then I said to the guys back in the studio, you know, graph design or design or type is now become a small part of the kit, not the whole kit. You know, that strategy, that customer experience, you know, an abundance of data and, and rich insights is what make, gives us in the right hands and we humanize it through design is actually gives it far more accurate outcome.
0: How do you go about measuring the, the success then of the work that you do?
2: Well, this is what we're looking at, and I've been looking at it for too long because i was frustrated <laughs> that it, we haven't got the solution, but I guess it's up to our client. We work with our clients, and they, they track the success. I mean, I, I, th- I think that what is – I mean, you, you might find this. I mean, I get this all the time where someone approaches to go, to, to do a brand or something, and they and they put it out there, tender out there or pitch, and they um they come back and they say, okay, you know, you know, we approached three companies, and you were the most expensive by twenty grand. And everybody else was like around a hundred. Um, Would you bring the price down? And I and I and I keep thinking, fuck, I want to be five hundred thousand. You know, you want only five hundred, not, not 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 a hundred. Okay, how do I how do I change that? How do I make that people understand that that 500 is far better investment than the 100? And it's not through more case studies. It's not through a different type of client service team. It's, it's actually through proving that our recommendations of what we do has driven success. Mm-hmm. You know, it's quantified and that's where we've got to get to. Mm.
1: And so do you find like talking in numbers, trying to talk to the CEOs and, and putting that and substantiating that in some financial way helps?
2: Well, I think the thing is that they're not asking for it right now. And I think that they're, they're about to. If I was them, I'd be going, prove that what you're recommending has worked, that it is going to achieve the goals that we have. Not just get the job done and it look great. Because the worst thing I find is like, I cannot stand people come to me and say, oh, you guys do beautiful stuff you know for me that's an insult because it's like it's that we design solutions whatever it's whatever medium it's in or whatever the outcome. it's not is. just confection yeah that's it's just the, the look of it is actually deliberate mm-hmm. you know the look is deliberately designed in such a way to create a reaction to engage with a certain person you know to create an outcome yeah. i think that a lot of designers design just to make it look nice for their oh, portfolio yes, yeah. you know
1: and i think we you know when i've Someone said that to me just a little while ago, you design beautiful things. And I and I actually said, we design really ugly things as well. Yeah. We, you know, we, we design all sorts of things, but it's what whatever's right for that project.
2: But in advertising, is clearly advertising is selling. So it's connecting and then selling and creating a, a conversion. You know, whereas what we do, it's still a bit kind of, it's loose, isn't it? It's, it's part loose, of a brand yeah. experience, but it's not... Necessary, the selling as part of the of the overarching... Well, I
0: guess, you know, yeah. there's the argument that there's an awareness level in advertising that's all just about brand perception, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily about sales. So that's still kind of... There's some ambiguity in that yeah. about how to measure it. So I wonder if you can use the same sort of measurements to in the work that you do. It's it's really interesting, I think, that our whole discussion about people wanting things cheaper and not seeing the value in... I mean, it happens in advertising, it happens in design, I'm sure it happens in a whole lot of industries. And I, I remember sitting around a table one time and there were all these people sitting there saying, you know, this is too expensive, this is too expensive, this is too expensive, make it cheaper. And I remember sitting there thinking, all you people drive Mercedes-Benz or BMWs, you're not driving Hyundai's. And yet you're you're willing to put your money there because you see some value in that, but you're not prepared to sort of apply the same logic to some some work that you're getting done. I mean, mean. you
1: sometimes have to turn it back on to them and say, you're actually asking us to do something that will make you this amount of profit – and you're not even preparing to spend one oh, percent of that ridiculous. on the work that needs to be mm-hmm. done to actually make that profit. It's so only when I talk in those numbers that they actually start to go, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, good point. Yeah. But up, up till then they go, Oh no, but last time we only paid twenty thousand for that job and you know, you're you're charging fifty. Does
0: your industry do do you ever put any sort of skin in the game or or try and negotiate a deal with clients where perhaps your remuneration is commensurate with the success? Yeah, yeah.
2: We sponsor a lot of clients. Right. <laughs> Not that they know that. I mean, Oz- <laughs> Oz Harvest is a great one, which we, we, we've been on the journey with them for a very long time, and yeah. we, we sponsor them. In fact, we've narrowed it down to them being our key sponsor every year, because uh, before I was sponsoring a whole bunch of arts organizations, etc., and major corporations, you know, without them realizing it. Because, you know, as designers, we're, we're passionate about doing the right thing and having the right idea. and. I think often we don't have an off switch. You know, that's to our, to our detriment, but our mm-hmm. client, no matter what they've got financially, we, we certainly go above and beyond. And and recently I have invested in a, a, a new gym uh, with the founder of F45, Luke Isaman. He came to me and said, look, I'm starting this new gym, uh, the new franchise idea, uh, like you'd be part of it in exchange for the design work I'll give you a percentage of the business right um, and has so, that
0: changed your approach to the design work
2: no because we, we <laughs> I should own all the business for the amount of time and money we spent <laughs> on it <laughs> um, no not, not really it definitely made me think about and I've started my t-shirt business and other businesses in the past too so I know I know how hard it is <laughs> I always thought it was much easier than what it is but I know how hard it is and how likely uh, whatever you're doing is going to going to fail um, but with this one it's called reunion so it kind of create helped create the whole brand the name the brand the the interior of the gyms the website every every kind of touch point of that uh, business so I'm really excited about that nothing's a guaranteed I think it's definitely going gangbusters and it should be a, um, a great investment but I I believe in that as much as I do any of our client projects yeah, right. you know I, I get excited by potential I get excited by being needed by a client or seeing us as a, as a solution to their problem. Well, in a way, that's going to be a really interesting case study
0: for you, isn't it? You're going to be able to put a dollar figure on the amount of time you've invested in it from a design point of view and then make some sort of parallel to the, the success of the business. Yeah,
2: yeah. I often say that when, I, when we're working on a – I remember working back in the UK, I was redesigning the independent newspaper uh, back in 94, I think it was, in the, in the very beginning of starting my business. And it was a you know a large broadsheet, um, and they were looking at making it kind of a tabloid. And I was stuck in this dark room on the top of uh, Canary Wharf with no windows. Um, it was all top secret, working with the editor. And week after week, it was several months went by, and I was just thinking, I hear the conversations around um, all the kind of disagreements and the different people's perspective on how it should be, and I'm going, wow, it'd be so much easier if I just started my own newspaper you know it'd be easier if you know this hotel brand I'd just start my own hotel it'd be easier to to create a brand new brand uh, intuitively but also around what you know um, than actually to try to redesign or refresh or work with a whole bunch of people who have so much, so much politics going on yeah it's right. just
0: that's so funny isn't it because we spoke to Nathan and Dave who started Hawke's Brewing Company and the ex-agency yeah. creative guys and they were talking about how they'd have a client come in and they'd want to do all the glamorous bits of work when they were advertising creatives but things like the shelf wobblers they'd be like oh, give that to someone else give that to someone else and now as people who have got their own beer brand out there they appreciate oh, that yeah, the okay. shelf wobbler is the mind. most important thing yeah, that they yeah, could yeah, possibly yeah. do. And it's really changed their perspective on the work. So I think it must give you a very interesting perspective once you actually start being the person behind the brand.
2: I added entrepreneurial yeah. uh, to our values recently because I, I want my guys across the team to think of every project they have as not a project to do or a design challenge, but actually think of it as if this was your own business. Mm. The business that you're working for is your business so it's a very different perspective on or approach to 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 that
1: designers often can become so precious about the work that they do but they often are thinking of their work Mm. rather than what the client's going through and and what their consumers are actually gonna how they're gonna actually touch or feel or or have some connection to what what's actually being produced so I mean, it's a very good idea to kind of get them to constantly. It's something we do all the time: is to try to put that different hat on.
2: We bring our clients into the in the creative process, the whole journey, and and you know, client, customers, etc. Bring them in the room, you know, and because we're determined to find that the best outcome and and. Um, it often, sometimes it's not our, you know, it's not the designer's idea or Australia's idea it's actually the client's idea and I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that.
0: Do you think that's a common thing in design, that you're a little bit more transparent with the process? I think it,
1: there's been a, the history's been this sort of idea of a ta-da moment this yeah, big yeah. presentation moment and I think one the thing that we're very passionate about is, is completely changing that idea because it's really about a conversation and we, we even call that process a co-creation pro- mm. process, you know, and it's got to mm. be one where, but you, you have to have a very good relationship with the client and you've got to be have a huge amount of respect and trust as well so mm. I think it, you know it takes a while to build that and you're also you're showing that vulnerability because you can kind of be in a in a brainstorm going I've just got to I've actually got to come up and so the client's lost here they don't mm. know where we're going my team don't have any idea and I've actually I've actually got to show our worth as well mm. so you can kind of sometimes it can be a scary thing to get through. So I don't think it is something that's across our whole industry, but no, I think I it should be something that's mm. encouraged. I started doing it
2: through necessity. I remember, you know, back in London, I was working in my spare room while my wife, ex-wife was asleep in the other room. And I had the editor of the newspaper determined to come and see me and he sat next to me in the spare room which was like a like a terrible thing to do at the time because like i was taught when i was a pentagram you never the clients couldn't even go to the first floor where all the designers were they were like there was a no entry sign at the bottom of the stairs and I remember going, Oh my God, this is I'm gonna get if anyone found out that the editor's sitting next to me right now and he's telling me not telling me what to do, but he's actually responding to immediately responding yeah. to what I was interpreting what he was saying or what he wanted to achieve. And it was brilliant because it flowed. It was like I I got instant feedback. And that and that made me go, Wow, you know what? This is actually a better way of working right.
1: Will it was the same as when you're at pentagram I we just weren't allowed clients weren't allowed on that level mm. I mean they'd find designers playing hacky sack or you know because it fast-tracked the, uh, the
2: process <laughs> couldn't charge for it, <laughs> it like yeah. you can't
1: charge for it you know
0: taking
2: the mystery out yeah of it. <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So, Vince, just be interested to know your perspective on creativity uh, in Australia and whether we're sort of like in a purple patch. Because there was a time when I think we were perhaps not seen as creatively um, ambitious. It's
2: interesting because I, I remember when I first came here, like, I've been here 15 years already. Uh, it's flown by. And I remember when I was first in the conversation with people about back in London and here as well, People were saying, "Oh my God, why would you want to go to Australia for?" You know, they don't get design, they don't understand design, don't value design. And I was living in London, which really did, yeah. even though you knew it could always be better, um, and you were still fighting for your ideas. You just there was definitely a broader appreciation of it. I didn't feel that when I first came here, so I felt like there was, you know, there was still opportunities. So it's up, and I felt also it was down to you as an individual to make it the best possible outcome. So I didn't. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter where I was in the world. If I have an opportunity, I want to create a great outcome. Mm-hmm. So I'll make it great through determination and working closely with the client, whether they get it or not. I, I just use it as an opportunity to um, do something good. What I loved about Australia was around the, the lack of restrictions or borders or class system or whatever it might be. I didn't feel, I felt like it was open. I felt very much a can-do approach to life here. You can make it what you want. You can design your life. You can go for it or not go for it. So I felt like I still feel today the same thing.
0: Right, so there's an optimism. Uh, yeah.
2: But I do think that things have changed rapidly. The last 10 years, I mean, certainly in the property sector and um, a lot of the infrastructure is going in. You know, the, the, the Sydney and broader Australia is redesigning itself and evolving at a very rapid pace. And I think that that's all design. That's all by design. People think it's politics or infrastructure, but that's actually architecture, design planning, master planning, etc. and we're helping promote that. We're helping people find their way through it, placemaking, et cetera. So it's, there's rich opportunities every day to be helping Australia be a better place to live. Through design. Through design, yeah. yeah. There are a whole bunch of people who are trying to can kind of help demystify design to the general public to help people see things uh, see the, be- the benefit and the value of design, the power design can have in society, in business, in health, in education, etc. So I think that's really uh, coming of age. I think that's a really really cool, cool place. And we've got the Creativity Commission that's been worked on. Russell Halcroft is kind of heading that up with the government and so there's there's, there's definitely efforts being made to elevate uh, the understanding, the promotion of design out there. You know, and I think designers actually themselves do themselves a disjustice. Just, just I can't even say the word. Um, designers tend to do the opposite. Of what they want, they tend to kind of promote, promote the kind of the misunderstood artist's approach to things uh, versus the compelling and 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 uh, and highly desirable and effective um, capability that they have as a team or as a you know as a designer to actually make a significant difference in the world. <laughs>
0: So, Vince, just be interested to know, are designers wankers? (laughs) (laughs) Mostly. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Right, okay, okay. Well, I'm glad we've cleared (laughs) that up. I think, though, designers are incredibly – they all think they're faking it. They all think they're not – Really? – Providing any value, and I think there's a lot of us that think that you know we go through the world going, "Am I really able to do this? Is this really you know? Am I actually adding any worth?" So I think it's it's about getting designers to understand the worth that they're giving. Mm. And a lot of my designers, when I get them to present their work or talk through their ideas, they tell me all about the font and the the scale and the composition. And even though that, I I mean, I love that stuff. That's where I've come from. Mm. I actually don't want to know any of that stuff. Mm. I actually want to know what difference that they're making in the work. And how's that going to make a difference to the client? And once they start to be able to articulate that difference, then they actually understand their own worth. They actually understand what it is that they've got. I think
0: perhaps if we could all just sort of like understand a little bit of those mechanisms that are working in the background you probably would actually have a bit of more appreciation of what you're adding.
2: I think, I think a lot of designers are, on, you know, the good ones are on the spectrum. They, they do struggle with life. Uh, so maybe they're thinking that they're frauds, etc., but they kind of not quite understanding how they are adding value because they're thinking very differently. Mm. Or, I mean, I, I certainly find that. I thought that my mind worked the same way as everybody else when I was at school. I just couldn't quite understand, I mean I was appalling at school most
1: designers aren't so great at, in, no. in a kind of school like system
2: no they're trying to encourage the the growth of your left brain versus the right brain is where I felt most comfortable, uh, and I felt like I sort of build on that, but it kind of went against everything you taught at school like it just everything was like complete opposite to what how you thought, and it wasn't until you meet other people who are creative, naturally creative or right brain thinkers. That you then feel, oh my god, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm actually there's a whole bunch of us weirdos out there that actually, or have value in the world. You know, there is a place for us mm-hmm. to shine. There is a place for us to have a purpose. There is a place for us to excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you find that, you go, wow, wow. it's not such a mean, nasty world. <laughs> you know, and that when I feel like a fraud is when I when I initially when I was like standing, you know. With opportunities, you end up meeting the CEO of a big corporation. I'm going, I'm sitting with this guy who's on a you know ten million dollar salary, and he's asking my advice about design, about his brand, or whatever, about his annual report, or whatever it might be. And I'm thinking, God, I'm not. My qualifications are like two years doing a diploma course, <laughs> 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 and you know, years of you know caring and working hard at it, but actually. You know I felt like a fraud at that moment, but I knew that i could I could see his business differently to how he Good, sees yeah. the business or I could help him visualize the business that he wanted or the, help him to realize the business that he was aiming for and that's where I think that's where a lot of business people don't value our input necessarily because mm-hmm. they they're you know they are very determined they're very numbers they're very you know shareholders on their back they're, they're, they're not going they're not prepared to make mistakes
0: do you ever resent the way the world is and this will be personally revealing but do you ever resent the fact that everyone um, has an opinion on your work whereas you don't necessarily get the opportunity to go into a finance meeting and have an opinion on on you know how they've done their sums or the IT people and how they've set up the IT, whereas when you come and bring your design you know, to a table, everyone suddenly is a, an expert. Does that ever?
2: I think it used to be problematic because I was poor at communication and poor at justification or explanation of the right. story behind where we got to. I think now over time we've got some brilliant strategists, great storytellers, people who can unpack the problem, the brief, the opportunity, and how we went about it and how we resolved it. And once you once you explain that people go, oh, my God, it can't be anything else. you know. Right. More often than not, it's like that. And that's not arrogance. That's just purely around doing justice to the, the process you went through, went through. And, and sharing it with them. When it is the kind of, I've just done this. What do you think of that kind yeah, of okay. cover? Yeah, okay. Every man and his dog has is, is got an idea uh, as a response to that and going, oh, I like it, don't like that. Because you're actually asking them for an opinion. What they think. Yeah. The thing is, we've already asked people's opinion in the beginning of the discovery work. So they're part of the journey. So they're part of the solution. They
1: leave you to it a lot more, which I think is a big difference. I was listening to one of Vince's podcasts with Paula Scher and Uh, and she actually was talking about still to this day. And she's done. I mean, how how long has she been in the industry?
2: Forty-five or something? Forty-five
1: years. She said she still presents work, and people have an opinion on the color. And, and, and she said and it will be a client that she's worked with for, for a long long oh, the time the theater group, the theater group. Yeah. and and when I listened to that I thought that's really strange because I don't have those conversations anymore and the difference is the strategy side of the business I think has made a huge difference, mm-hmm. a difference. Um, because it, it's like Vince it says when we, we we go through a discovery and we start to map out what uh, where that that business needs to go and we understand the business needs. They seem to allow you a lot more creative license. It's actually allowed us to be more creative because they've gone, just go go ahead and do it now because I know you're on board with us. I think it but-
2: comes down to trust. Trust is, through that approach, they trust you.
0: But it's also salesmanship. That's just a different type of salesmanship. Like I think in the past you talk about the ta-da moment and you know, I think that is sort of going out the window a bit. But, but now it's like, how are we going to get to that moment where they go oh, that's perfect. So it's still there to da moment but we're just not going to reveal it like not that. Really. So it's kind of like a salesmanship that that's got a much sort of longer burn.
1: It's more like an education isn't mm. it that you take them on that you're doing together, mm. and you all get to that ta da tingly, whatever yeah, right. it might be moment it's together, that's when it actually feels right, yeah, and, right. you know, and, and sometimes you do that, we had a client we're working with, and about three months ago, we all got to that stage, and it was like brilliant, with great, and then we've just done another series of work with the same client, and we presented it in yesterday, and it wasn't the same ta moment, you know, it wasn't, and, and actually I agree completely with what the client agrees mm. with, and and, but we, the timings were up and we got to a stage and we thought we've just got to actually talk about this now. Sometimes you haven't got there and yeah. you're like, it actually, still needs a little bit of work in this. We're really struggling with this one part. And through the conversation, they actually went, oh, yeah, I can see why that's a struggle and, and I can yeah. see that that's hard. Whereas the designers, and, and I'm a designer as well, but the designers that I'm working with that often, they fear that conversation or they think that we've got to be able to solve everything and sometimes we can't solve everything yeah. it's actually about being open enough to just talk talk it through
2: i think that's where yeah in the past we've got unstuck is where we feel we can't go back to the client and ask for more questions you know like going it's, we're not getting it we're not we haven't got a solution and i go guys we have not got the solution cuz we don't actually know we don't know the right we haven't asked the right that's questions or we don't have the right clues to help us to do that and I think talking to other designers, designers listening, that don't be afraid of asking yeah. endlessly, asking until you feel like you've got enough information. Yeah. No client's going to tell you off for that. No, you know, right. no, one's, no one's going to say, "Oh my god, stop pestering me, trying to help solve my problem." Mm. Um, you know, and I think that that's where that makes a big, big difference. And then the, the ideas flow once you once you've found the thing that's missing.
0: <laughs> now it would be remiss of us no, no, no. to not mention your podcast. Mm-hmm. So what's that all about then, Vince?
2: Um, I've got a podcast based on the book that I did back in 2014 called "Design Your Life." It's a monthly podcast based around "Design Your Life." So it's talking to a whole array of people. Could be creatives, can be uh, psychologists, can be furniture makers, architects, etc. Yoga entrepreneurs and things like that. So I just find people fascinating, and I love the conversation around how their life works. Mm. Um, not just their career, not just the kind of the, the great achievements that they've done, but all the, the shit that happens in life as well. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, thank you.
0: Well, um, first up, Michaela, thank you so much for your time over the last two episodes.
1: Thank you very much for asking me. It's been great to be part of awesome, it.
0: Awesome, awesome. And Vince... Over to you, my friend. Next time, you have to come back with somebody. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is give us a little bit of a teaser as to who that person may be.
2: Okay. Well, I'm very excited about the idea of coming back. This person I met back in London a long time ago, probably 25 years ago. I've met him several times over the years in various locations at various design events, uh, creative events around the world. A huge name in the world of advertising in London and uh, hopefully I'll get him. Yeah. Hopefully I'll get him over the table. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com, made by our good friends at Macadamia Digital, where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. I'll be back next time with Vince and his mystery guest. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time.